Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Cha-ching. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap. I write for Film Verdict. I write for Slash Film. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film, and that's all. That's all you need, that's, baby. That's, that's my outlet right now. That's all you need. And uh, for the purposes of this particular podcast, you may address me as Rockmeister McCool. You needn't. But you, it's a cute nickname that we've we've kind of gone with. There needs to be a, a contraction that's an opposite of needn't. Like, you, you need to... Must is the opposite. But that's not a contraction. Okay. You need to... What are you doing? I'm contracting need to and just dropping the O at the end. I, I see. So you've you've taken a, a perfectly speakable phrase and made it unspeakable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well done. Yes, that's the Bibiani way. This is our letters podcast. That's right. You email us or send us other types of mail, and we read it on the air, and we answer your questions, we respond to your criticisms, we learn valuable things from you. Uh, it's 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 your world, baby. We just live in it. Uh, and here's how it works. You can either email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, or... Or you can send us a physical letter. Uh, address it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And we have some actual letters. That's right. Like physical, physical paper mail. letters. Yeah. And uh, we don't get so many physical letters that we skip over them. Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to, like, guarantee that we got that we read your letter on the, the show. If you go to the effort of ma- putting a post-it put, yeah. stamp on something, and, we will read it. And I'm... I'm crinkling the paper next to the mic here. So there you, you go. There you go. Uh, this looks like just a little note. Oh. Uh, and it is. Co- it comes from Anthony. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Thanks Anthony. Writing, writing in and uh, typing out this little, uh, little note. It says, Dear Leto Atreides and the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. Um, do you want to be Duke Leto or do you want to be the Padishah Emperor? Which one's the Padishah Emperor? Uh, who, played Pad- who played them in the David Lynch movie? Uh, it was uh, Jose Ferrer. Played I'll be Jose him, Ferrer. Or... or yeah. Um, I'm Jose Ferrer. Um, number one. After recently watching Jason and the Argonauts Ooh. and having a wonderful time. Yes. Oh, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, are we due for a good film Greek or Greco-Roman mythology epic? Is there a want for it? Plus, what is your favorite Greek film epic? My favorite part in the movie was when King Aetes throws Hydra teeth on the ground in front of Jason and is in awe of the undead rising from the graves, quote, there, there, and still another and more. <laughs> and number two, in this upside down era of human history, in your perspective, uh, was Barbenheimer the massive glitch in the system that we needed right now? Uh, at the beach house from Bahav Kaladan, Anthony. Uh, uh, two great questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Uh, well, uh, one number one is first. Uh, mm. Greek epics. Uh, that was kind of big for a second. A lot of Roman epics mm. were big in the 50s. Uh, 50s through the 60s. 50s yeah. Especially the 50s, we just had a lot of 
just epic productions and a lot of the the, the uh, historical epics and we've been reviewing some of them mm. on uh, all our the yesterdays. Best. Not all yes, only the best. Only the best. How do I keep doing that? All our yesterdays are Star Trek yeah. podcast. Only the best is our podcast where we review every single best picture nominee ever, and we're currently in the middle of the nineteen fifties, and we're starting to see more Roman movies. And in the next episode, which we hope to record very soon, we'll have two of them. We'll have the Robe, which is one of the first widescreen epics ever made. Uh, and uh, also Julius Caesar, the big epic production uh, starring Marlon Brando and James Mason. Um, historical epics were a big deal in Hollywood in the 50s and 60s, and that kind of bled into uh, fantastical historical epics. And we started to get some really major productions, often with mm. visual effects by Ray Bradbury, and we would get films uh, Ray like... Ray Harryhausen. Ray Harryhausen. Not, Ray, I Ray am Bradbury. Off Ray, Ray Bradbury did not do special effects. Take he, a he drink was an every author. time Whitney corrects me tonight. I think you might get nicely toasted. Um, uh, but these are these are big handsome epics. Yeah, but we also got a lot of cheaper ones, mostly from overseas in yeah, Italy. There were a lot of, a lot of yeah. Italian peplum movies the, with Hercules and Machiste. Yeah, uh, I have a lot the, of affection for the genre. The, the peplum films, like the cheap Italian ones, are in their way, way more entertaining than the big Hollywood epics. Mm -hmm. uh, They're not constrained by yeah, things the, like um, taste. Exactly. <laughs> They're very, they, uh, they were tacky-ass movies. Yes, they were. Uh, and, like, like, they were sexy, but they didn't have the temerity to have, like, actual sex in them. Well, I don't think so, they could yet, if they wanted to be, so there was especially a, in the yeah. international market. So, but there was a lot of eroticism, a lot of yeah. shirtless hunks. Yeah, well, they, they cast a lot of, like, professional bodybuilders and athletes yeah. to play these Hercules characters, and there were a lot of scenes of men in very skimpy leather outfits working out, so uh, it didn't take very long for the queer community to latch <clears> onto them, and they became very, uh, very important cinematic milestones in queer cinema. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why in the Rocky Horror Picture Show they talk about seeing a Steve Reeves movie. There's a reason why in the uh, movie Airplane the pilot mm -hmm. says, hey, you ever watch Gladiator movies? Do you watch movies? movies about gladiators? Yeah, that's, yeah um, that's what he's talking about, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they, they were for uh, quite a spell considered queer cinema. Uh, the reason Roman epics came to the fore, and this is just sort of based on a general knowledge of, of film history, was uh, was television. TV mm -hmm. was becoming more popular in American homes. More yeah. TVs were selling. And cinemas got scared. So they tried to offer something in movie theaters that you couldn't get on your TV screen, mm -hmm. and that was bigger, wider productions. Well, bigger, more lavish uh, more expensive movies. Lots of Technicolor, mm. uh, big widescreen. That's one of the reasons why widescreen, they jumped on that really hard, yeah. was because TVs at home were square. In theaters, they're, they're rectangles. Mm. Can't get that at home. And also a lot of TV, and there's a lot of great TV from the 50s and the 60s, but for the most part, no one was throwing money at it. These were yeah. relatively cheap productions, often very cheap productions. Uh, and... That's what Hollywood studios thought we could offer. We could offer mm. the handsome, look at every dollar is on the screen kind of yeah, epics. Yeah. That's where you'd get a Ben-Hur or a Cleopatra. And uh, I like Ben-Hur. Uh, there, yeah. There's some of these big clunky epics that I'm fond of, and partly in a campy way, but you know, there, there is sort of an appeal to the junk the junkiness of it. They're mm -hmm. trying to make these kind of simple stories seem larger than they are. Cleopatra is great for Roddy McDowell and Roddy McDowell alone. Uh, I like it more than that. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's not it, a great it movie. Is, it is a, a big sprawling mess of a flick. And, and Cleopatra, I find it an entertainingly sprawling yeah. mess, but they're fair enough. Cleopatra is more interesting because it was like 
one of the films that kind of tanked the genre. It was so yeah. expensive to make and not Took very forever. popular. Yeah. Took forever to even to even break even. Yeah. Uh, which it did eventually, but it was, and, took forever. And we're seeing that now with like yeah. these sort of uh, nostalgia uh, adv- special effects adventure epics. They're yeah. getting more and more expensive and fewer and fewer people, people are seeing them. Your, your flashes in Indiana Jones movies. These were movies that, like Cleopatra, Hollywood was depending on. Like, you mm. could count... On a big superhero crossover movie and a big nostalgia Indiana like mm. Lucasfilm type movie, you can count on it to at least make a profit. Yeah, and even this year, I mean, even the new Mission Impossible didn't do that great. Um, like it, it's, I mean, it it made a bunch of money, but it, it didn't make the money they wanted. Exactly, it to. There, it, uh, it, you, it's easy to look at like how much a movie like that makes and go, well, that's a ton of money. Mm. And then you look at how much they spent on it, and you're like, oh, they're uh, really not getting that much back. Say, same with uh, like Fast X, that wasn't yeah. the hit people wanted. Uh, so like we're hitting a point where people are, you know, if you give people the same thing enough. Mm. Eventually, they'll at least be less excited for it. They might like it, mm. but they're not necessarily feeling like, "Oh, I have to run out and see it." Yeah, it's not an event anymore, and so, and so they, we're looking for that. The, we're we're at the very end of a certain generation of events. We feel mm-hmm. I feel like everything's shifting, um, and that's and that actually brings us to. And I want to talk about our favorite Greek myth movies in a second, but right. that's actually a good dovetail into Barbenheimer. Into Barbenheimer, because yeah. that's one of the reasons why that felt so distinct was. One, it was just an internet meme that got out of hand, and Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember that. But it ended up working out because, by sheer luck, both of those movies turned out to be really good. Yeah. yeah. And they were both by uh, filmmakers who had distinct visions, and those visions were able to actually cut through the studio notes in a way that a lot of filmmakers well, can I don't know about Barbie. Barbie is a studio monster. No, but, but it also uh, feels like a Greta Gerwig movie. I think it, that's fair. She did bring her voice to it. That's my point. Um, uh, I'm not saying they're not I'm not saying they're not studio monsters. I'm just saying they still feel like other pieces of their work. Christopher Nolan is one of those uh, rare filmmakers who has managed to uh, become the draw. Yeah. Like one of the directors who's become a draw. So whenever Christopher Nolan makes a movie, it's an event because he made it. Yeah. Uh, there aren't too many other filmmakers you could say that about right now. Very true. Uh, so I, I at least admire that level of fame that a director has yeah. in in this marketplace. Now, Barbie uh, was still like, you know, it's, it's based on a popular nostalgia mm-hmm. property. It's a toy. Uh, however, balancing that out, was the fact that it's now, I think, the highest grossing film ever directed by a woman, or at least it's number two. There's that Chinese film, High Mom, which yeah. made like, a lot, a ton of money, but it looks like Barbie's going to topple that it's, if it hasn't uh, already. It, it, just like today, as of this mm. recording, uh, earned more money than Frozen. There you so go. So it's, it's earning a lot of money. Yeah, that's a ton of money. Um, it's also a film about women and mm. issues around women which Hollywood thought was box office poison for a long time irrationally so but that was the rule that they had invented in mm-hmm. order to exclude women so that's cool and then Oppenheimer in the middle of a summer season with giant blockbuster sequel hmm. prospects a really dour super long biopic about a guy who invented the nuclear bomb yeah was a blockbuster I, uh, That's impressive, man. Yeah, and it, it, a bigger blockbuster. Well, I mean, Tenet, the the mm. Nolan's last film, 
uh, came out well, at a weird came, time. Came out at a weird time, yeah. but there's no way that was going to be a hit because that was a terrible movie. Well, it probably could have made more money than it did if it hadn't come out in COVID, but yeah, it did. May, so. Maybe so, but it's it's yeah. it's bad. It, I also it's, agree. It's I don't think it's a good movie. Ambitious, um, sure. Mm-hmm. Good, no. Uh, now, Barbie is a, a Mattel film. It's it's yeah. based on a product. Uh, and Can't pretend otherwise. And there is a, a, an incredibly gross commercial element to it that is kind of difficult to get around. Uh, I think the film succeeds, but fair enough. Succeeds, but it succeeds in selling a product as well, which is the that. gross part of it. However good a movie it is, it also has this gross element. I can't, I can't, I can't fight that. Links to what I just it think is. there are other elements um, about it that are distinctly mm. feel new and different in terms of a successful blockbuster yeah. film. Uh, and I think the reason those two films in particular uh, crossed over so well is because. They both appeal to adults. Barbie mm. is a movie uh, for toys, but that's not a movie for little girls. It's rated PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, not not cele- celebrating the fantasy of it. It's actually deconstructing the fantasy. It's actually very intelligent, mm. and I actually think it's really exciting that so many like you know, young people will see Barbie just because mm. it is Barbie, and yeah, you know, they'll laugh at the jokes, but then they'll also be exposed to. A lot of people have said it's kind of like, you know. Not not exactly the most like complicated form of feminism yeah, that feminism it has. Feminism one hundred and one, but yeah. but think of the target audience. Hmm. We just got feminism one hundred and one to a lot of people, and I think uh, that's well, not bad. But you know, the, the, I what? But my point was that the people who are seeing that movie know those lessons already. Not necessarily. Uh, there are uh, a lot of them are kids. They're not necessarily I, having that articulated well enough. I, I suppose so. My but what I was saying again was that kids weren't seeing the movie. Adults were seeing the movie. And adults were also seeing Oppenheimer, and that's what made these things sort of overlap in this interesting way. Uh, the success of both of those movies, sh- just and the failure of all of the others, mm-hmm. just goes to show that audiences' tastes are changing a little bit. Trends are sort of shifting out from under us, and uh, I'm really eager to see the desperate period of major <laughs> studios as they try out all kinds of stuff. Uh the makers of Barbie are going to take the wrong lessons. They're going to make more movies about toys and mm. not more uh, movies where Greta Gerwig gets to write speeches for America Ferrera. Well, uh, they've already started. They think they already said they're doing a Polly Pocket Polly movie. Polly Pocket movie, and yeah. uh, uh, Lena Dunham is going to do that one. So they're right. they're trying to they're trying to redo Barbie again. Um, of course they are already. Uh, and, and, and the wrong lessons. And Universal, who made, uh, who put out Oppenheimer, are just going to let Christopher Nolan do his thing because yeah. I think he's he's the celebrity. Uh, what's going to happen next? Just eager to see. Uh, uh, I'm just glad that this particular decade mm-hmm. of commercial glut, the one that resembled the 80s in many ways, and that all of the attention was on the big blockbuster fantasy films for young children, mm-hmm. has kind of come to an end. And I think we're going to go through a cycle very much like the 90s, where I think a lot more interesting, daring movies are going to start breaking into the mainstream. Fingers crossed. Uh, fingers yeah. crossed. That's my hope. Yeah. Uh, just I've seen, I've, I'm old enough now that I've recognized a pattern in yeah. the way decades of film tend to move. I'm interested in how, because normally after like an enormously successful and sort of unexpectedly successful uh, movie release like that, or in this case two, um, Hollywood responds really fast. They're going to green light a whole bunch of stuff. But it came out in the middle of, two giant strikes, the Writers Guild and mm. the Screen Actors Guild, uh, both of whom we support wholeheartedly. Um, and as a result, nobody's writing anything, and mm. you can't put anything into production. And so they can't 
move that quickly, and I'm, God only knows how much longer it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, the studios will get their heads out of their asses and just give everyone what they want because none of it's unreasonable. But we don't know how long it'll take the studios to realize that. Mm-hmm. So maybe by the time the strikes are over, and again, hopefully, and well, um, Hollywood will have such a short memory... <laughs> That they just want to go back to the status quo and they've forgotten about Barbenheimer. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to look at, especially yeah. in retrospect. Um, as for Greek and Roman epics, mm. we're... Especially we're, mythology films. Myth, yeah, mythology films, we're, we're out of the window. They tried. They tried to remake Clash of the Titans, if you recall. They made enough money like, that they tried. did a sequel. Yeah, and they're both terrible. <laughs> and, and nobody, <laughs> and nobody was interested Clash. in more of those. Yeah. Um, we, we've had two Percy Jackson movies. They weren't mm. huge hits. Disney's doing a Percy Jackson TV series, and if it's anything like the series they did for Willow, they'll make one season and then delete it in two weeks. Mm. Um... They just need to prove their streaming services have value. They don't care if people are watching these things. They're, they're, Hollywood doesn't forget about Greek myths. And we've had some hit films that were either Greek myths or Greek myth adjacent. Like Wonder Woman has Greek myth elements. The villain of that movie was mm. Ares at the end. So that's not unlike anything. Um 300 was not a, a myth per se, but it's a story that's been passed down to antiquity. That was an unexpectedly huge hit. That had at least one copycat that I can think of, and that was Tarsim Singh's Immortals, hmm. which is better than it got credit for. <laughs> it is absolutely bonkers, over-the-top, Euro-trash madness. And I love it. And I hope more people watch it because it is fucking wild like the costumes alone are just absolutely just dazzling and weird and kinky and ah i love it um so that's one of the more modern ones that i'm i'm actually very very fond of um i suspect i I don't know what the fuck marvel is doing right now i none of their plans seem to be going anywhere making any sense but they did introduce last summer so this is it's been over a year Mm. uh, at the end of thor love and thunder hercules that's right. Uh, played by that one guy from that show everyone likes. Yeah, I, I remember him. Yeah. Um, I don't watch it. I heard it was good. Uh, but Hercules is a character in Marvel Comics, and he's had a lot of funny stories, and it would be mm. kind of cool to see a live-action Hercules movie. Disney is also making a live-action Hercules movie. That's a live-action version oh, of the, right. the 1990s yeah. movie, which frankly wasn't that good it had good stuff in it oh it's a hot mess that yeah the, the this i think the the music is quite good i actually like the animation style is kind of weird but it's not it's not a very good movie mm. um which is a shame because i thought the idea of like using hercules as sort of a way to examine modern celebrity yeah. was not a bad idea i thought that was mm. actually kind of funny um, but yeah, I just felt they never really. But they made like it. Air Jordan jokes. Yeah, and it's, it's just it got lazy. It's, and uh, so I, I, I've always held that, um, and I've said this before, mm. with the exception of the George Geef cartoons, mm. uh, Disney is really funny. Like they're yeah. not really good at comedy. They have really dazzling character animation mm-hmm. and characters that are really kind of like, expressive and move in this really interesting way. <sighs> but when it comes to like just straight comedy. Yeah. They don't really have me. Uh, the one exception I'll give to that is the more recent spate of uh, Mickey Mouse cartoons, 
which mm. were more sort of daring in terms of their animation style and also a little more, more and also, slapstick forward. And... Frankly, they became more like Looney Tunes. Uh, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, and smart move, honestly, because mm. those cartoons are mostly great. And I, I mean, the, the Halloween one where Mickey's car breaks down at the side of the road and, and, and a Goofy zombie is dead. Goof, yeah. and there's a zombie Goofy chasing him and he's got like a bone sticking out of his nose and it's super gross. Um, that's a classic. That's like one of the better Mickey Mouse cartoons. Mm. Period. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Jason the Argonauts is a, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I grew up watching mostly the Hercules movies that were on Mystery Science Theater 3000. And to be fair, most of those are quite bad. But I will go to bat for the first two Steve Reeves Hercules movies. It's Hercules and Hercules Unchained. Yeah, I actually think those are, like, on their own, quite good. Uh, you know, cheesy, but mm. that's what they're there for. They're, they're definitely camp. Um, and it bugs me, actually, that there's no good version of that available on home video. Like, those were uh, not, monster not hits. The, not in the United States. Yeah. I think you can get some, like, European Blu-ray. I hope know? so, because, like, in the United States, those movies were huge hits here. Mm. They were gigantic. They were iconic. They helped usher in a whole wave, a giant genre. No Shout Factory Blu-ray, no <laughs> Arrow Blu-ray, no Kino Blu-ray, no... Criterion, fuck it. I think they should be. That one pisses me off. But yeah, I think those movies are better than they get credit for. Um, and all the Harryhausen ones are pretty great. But Jason, I think Jason Argonauts is the best. <laughs> it just gets it all right. Well, I'm, I'm fond of Clash of the Titans. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's corny. The original. Like it, yeah. The original. Yeah, yeah. It, it's okay. Right. There's stuff I like in it. Anyway, uh, hopefully that helps. Uh, here's our next letter. I'm going to pull it out. Of, and this is uh, our second uh, physical letter. Ooh. And it's, ooh, it has like a little program of some kind inside. Interesting. What do we got here? Um, it's, it has just a note on it. Okay. Is there a letter in here? I don't think there's a letter. Oh, dear. Let's see here. Yeah, the there's notice? no letter. But this is a, pro a theater program mm. of a movie theater. In Palo Alto, California. Okay. The Stanford Theater in Palo Alto on, uh, on University Avenue. And it's just a, a program of what they have coming up on their calendar. Oh. Uh, this program is subject to change. Uh, let's see. Oh, it looks like it's a Hitchcock festival. Oh, there's a Hitchcock festival. Oh, that's oh, no, cool. It's, oh, it's, no, it's just a bunch of classic movies. Uh, oh, Bringing Up Baby. Oh, nice. Uh, she Done Him Wrong. Oh, classic. Venus. Only Angels Have Wings. Mm -hmm. uh, His Girl Friday. 30 Day Princess. That's not a movie I'm familiar with. I don't with. know that one, yeah. Uh, Sylvia Sidney, Cary Grant. Mm. Uh, Topper. Sylvia Sidney or Sylvia Scarlet? Sylvia Sidney. Interesting, okay. Uh, the Awful Truth. Destination Tokyo. Also, okay. Oh, these are like all Cary Grant movies. Gunga Den. Yeah, those are all Cary Grant movies. Suspicion. Yeah, yeah that's a Cary Holiday. Grant movie. Holiday. Sylvia Scarlet. Oh, these are all Cary Grant movies. Uh, Philadelphia Story. Penny Serenade. Oh, so we got Penny some obscure Serenades. ones in here. No, None Penny but Serenade the Lonely Heart. Arsenical Blaze. I love Arsenical Blaze. Classic. Uh, Monkey Business. People will talk. Monkey Business is deeply underrated. Monkey oh. Business is uh, Cary Grant and Ginger Rogers. And uh, he invents a potion or a serum that causes them to mentally revert back to when they were younger. Oh, and yeah, yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> like, it's genuinely great. Under so, underspoken uh, of, I feel, but it's a one of Cary Grant's funniest movies. See, people will talk. Uh, Every girl should be married to catch mm. a thief and a fair to remember. Father Goose. I don't know Father Goose. That was one of his last movies, wasn't it? Sixty four. That one came out. Yeah, that was he that was one a, of, if not his last movie. Drunken beach bum. He plays uh, indiscreet. 
North by Northwest, Charade, uh, and then a bunch of Hitchcock movies. Shadow of a Doubt, mm. Strangers on a Train, Vertigo, Dial M for Murder, Rope, The Birds, and Psycho. Uh, well, like, all within the span okay. of a month. That's insane. Like, can I see this? Yeah, sure. Let me hand it over. There's a Mighty Wurlitzer. There you go. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, maybe they're just inviting us to come to the theater and I would, watch I mean, some I, of those I'd movies. like to. I mean, damn. Ooh, and, yeah. and there's and there oh and there's pop, uh, bubble wrap. Hang on. There we go. Popping some bubble wrap. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Well, well thank you uh, to uh, to Alan. Yeah. Send us thank that. You, Alan, this is really really neat. God, I love movies. <laughs> I really love movies uh, a lot. Uh, I like some movies. There, there there are some turds out there, man. <laughs> Uh, no. I like them. I, I I like. I don't like every movie, hmm. but I love the concept of movies, regardless. <laughs> I, uh, a, a, a phrase I'm trying to coin, and I've said it on episodes hmm. before, is uh, trash plus time equals culture. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the films that come out uh, sort of off to the side, these things that are disposed of or, or dismissed upon their initial release tend to be venerated several generations later, whereas a lot of the mainstream stuff uh, tends to be forgotten or canonized in, in a way that makes them less interesting. Uh, so, yeah, when uh, when you find something that's like sort of trashy or you're willing to dismiss something, try to uh, put it on the long, long line. Yeah. Maybe those things will be forgotten, who's to say, but... Well, uh, it's entirely possible that a lot of these tra- like trashy movies mm. are going to be a lot more indicative as mm. to what's going on sort of sociologically yeah. than the bigger ones, which are uh, very careful studio calculations. What I have noticed, and I'm starting now that I'm old enough, that I've been like paying attention to movies for mm. like really closely for like 30 years, um, and I've seen movies age, and I've seen movies that were obscure become popular, and movies mm. that were popular become obscure within my own lifetime. What I've realized is that regardless of how successful something is when it comes out, mm. what matters is how passionate people are about it later. Yeah. So if if a movie is incredibly popular, but not popular enough that people still sing its praises in 10 years, it's dead. If, however, a movie is only a modest success or even a box office bomb, mm. in 10 years, if a small percentage of the population is still excited about it and keeps talking about it, it made it. It, it made it. And yeah. The frustrating thing as a critic is when uh, films I hate do that. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm waking. It's not all up to and, us, and, though, and, you know? and you know, some the people younger than me are the ones cause you know ones making the taste. I saw Space Jam when I was in high school. Sam, I hated it in high school. It was bad I hate then. It, now. it stinks uh, then, and it stinks now. But you know what? The people who were ten in 1996 really kind of hooked into it. Yeah. That was very, very good. They saw it multiple times in theaters, and now we, we lived long enough to see a sequel get made, yeah. which was also terrible. I didn't <laughs> like the sequel either. Um, there are some movies that uh, I felt like I was too old to have seen in the first place, and I, I've now reached the age where you know you see the sort of the twenty year cycle of nostalgia. Yeah. So I've seen the cycle of eighty of seventies nostalgia. I saw the cycle of eighties nostalgia. I've seen the cycle of nineties nostalgia, mm-hmm. and. But I turned uh, 21 hmm. in 1999. Yeah. So I was too old for the wave of pop media that hit in the early 2000s. 
for it to really form you like, anyway. Yeah. yeah, to like become um, part of your DNA. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the a lot of like the kids movies from the early 2000s mm-hmm. and a lot of like the, the the pop music from the early 2000s passed me by. I was yeah. all over, I was growing into my sort of my own interests at that point. Yeah, you're, so you you had been, formed a bit as a yeah, person. So yeah. now I'm 45 and I've seen this wave of nostalgia rise for this era of pop culture, I have no idea about. It's weird, isn't it's it? It's kind of odd. It's like, yeah. oh, I really miss these records. What What was that? And and if you're thinking in the audience, oh, that sounds weird, it will happen it's to you. It's going to happen to you. And just just try to enjoy it. Yeah. Honestly, just try to enjoy it. There's nothing mm-hmm. else you can do about it. I was looking up the Stanford Theater, by the way. Okay. Uh, this is the festival that's currently going on. It was going on from uh, from July 1st to September 3rd. Oh, okay. It's their so Cary it's... Grant and Hitchcock Festival. All right. Uh, and it looks really, really cool. The Stanford Theater, I'm reading from the page here, the Stanford Theater Foundation is dedicated to bringing back the authentic movie-going experience of Hollywood's golden age. Mm. Classic Hollywood directors never intended for you to watch pictures on a video screen in their living room or while jogging. I don't know who's doing that. Uh, the magic of movies blends in a large life image and the shared reactions of a large audience. The Stanford Theater first opened in 1925. All right. And there's a picture here. Sanding. It looks real pretty. They got a Wurlitzer organ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to check this place out. This this looks really, really wonderful. So if you're interested in checking it out, um, it's uh, Stanford Theater, and they spell theater with an R-E instead of an E-R, like you do, dot org. All right. Uh, so, uh, so check it out. Thank you for sending this along. I will definitely... Uh, uh, pop by if I can because this looks really cool thank you yeah I, I miss um, th- there's a couple of repertory houses in Los Angeles that uh, mm. I guess a lot of them are still open I, I miss the Cine family I think that was pretty well this, programmed yeah the it, people it was, who ran it were turned out to be assholes but the actual programming in the was pretty, theater yeah. was great a lot of like, wonderful people worked there. Also, a lot of shit. Yeah, a lot of a lot of shitty people, and yeah. uh, they were going to reopen it with new management, but that just never got off the ground. Yeah. Um, Something like it should form, though. I would like that. Yeah. Uh, well, the Vidiots Theater is open. That's now. true, and that's so, got cool so stuff. A, a new yeah. a new one is is sort of in play, and now. that's a classy theater right there. Mm. Vidiots. We've, we've mentioned it before, but definitely check it out if you if you're in town. Mm. Uh, all right, let's move on to some emails. Thank let's you, everybody who wrote in. Uh, uh, you know, took the time. Mm-hmm. And now let's uh, thank some people who wrote in uh, electronically because that's perfectly valid okay. too. Uh, here's a letter from Morgan. Hello, Morgan. Hi, Morgan. Um, hey, Bibbs and Whitney. Hi. Uh, lo- love the CA podcast and also the Cancel Too Soon podcast, which was canceled too soon. It's not canceled. It's not canceled. It's just it's on it's on indefinite hiatus. Dif- it's difficult for us to get to. We did have an episode recently. I think um, we'll probably try to put together one or two more episodes for the end of the year, just yeah. as little bonuses. Um, I really enjoyed the cameo appearance episode. We did an iron list yeah. about the best cameo, but that's where we count down mm. the films we like uh, on, a, on a very long list episodes. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, I used it as an excuse to revisit both The Lavender Hill Mob, which you recommended, <laughs> and Treasure of the Sierra Madre, both of which I had seen several times, but uh, never twigged to the clever cameos therein. Uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which has a cameo from the director. Yeah, and uh, uh, Lavender Hill Mob, which had a cameo from Audrey Hepburn before she was famous, but now it still reads like a cameo. Weird. Yeah. Really weird. Uh, I'm writing to draw your attention to a Bugs Bunny cartoon, which riffed on the Treasure of the Sierra Madre in a very clever way. I know which one they're talking about. I know which one they're talking about, too. Um, Bugs is trying to get back a baby penguin who actually lived in Hoboken back home to Antarctica. Several times along the way encounters uh, the down on his luck Bogart character begging for change. I never realized the cleverness of the scene composition before uh, Bibbs comment on the shoe shine in the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Also Warner Brothers property. We only see Bogart from the knees down. This may be because Bugs uh, is being much shorter than him or it may be a nod 
to the shoe shine. Right. Uh, and at the end of the cartoon, Bugs Bunny turns the tables by asking Bogey, "No, you can you help a fellow American who's down on his luck before handing him the penguin and running off into the sunset in a state of madness." <laughs> Brilliant. I forgot the title of that cartoon. The penguin. Oh, cartoon. I'm gonna look it up because that's um, that's worth knowing. Hang on. Uh, the one other observation on the cameos, which if you mentioned it. If you mentioned it, I completely zoned. Is the appearance of the actual Jordan Belfort at the end of The Wolf of Wall Street? Oh yeah, I he plays about that the one. Auckland seminar host. Oh, that's yeah. Um, I'm surprised he agreed to be in that because it pains him in a, like in the most negative possible way. I think way. all he cares about is money. No, that's true. Uh, on an unrelated note, but uh, in the hope that you one day resurrect, cancel too soon. Uh, you must do a feature on the appalling Kevin Smith attempt at remaking the wonderful British series Manchild for an American audience. I don't, re- I don't remember this. I actually don't know them either. Uh, and in the process, stripping it all, it's charm, wit, and tenderness, replacing it with crass, hockey, jersey, d- dude bros, stiff dialogue, misogyny, and diarrhea jokes. It's such an abomination that I think it's worthy uh, worth resurrecting on Kensel Too Soon. Uh, as one of your friendly neighborhood teamsters, I'm looking forward to signing up your, signing up for your Patreon, but not before the strikes come to an end. Fair See enough. you then, Morgan. Morgan, thank you so much. Thank you for supporting the strike. You rule. Uh, and uh, f- for the record, that that uh, that short, that Bugs Bunny short from 1950, directed by Chuck Jones, Eight Ball Bunny. Eight Ball Bunny. All Eight right. Ball Bunny. The Brooklyn Ice Palace shuts down after the Ice Frolics pack up to go to another show somewhere else. And Playboy... I didn't realize the Penguin had a name. Playboy Penguin. Playboy Penguin. That's the name, because it has it's that top a little hat. top hat and yeah. a little, little dicky. I actually never realized it had a name. That's cute. Um, so yeah, that is a that is a classic, and thank mm. you for reminding us of it. Uh, we have another Iron List episode we have to crank out pretty soon, actually, and the uh, it's going to be on the topic of the best box office bombs. The lowest earners, but good movies. Yeah, movies that lost a ton of money, but movies mm. we think are really, really good. So that'll be All fun, right. and look for that probably next week. Yeah. All right. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, here's an, our next letter. This, mm-hmm. come, this one comes from Danny. Hi, Danny. Um, hello there, Mr. Bibbs and Mr. McCool. Hello. Uh, first time writing in. Welcome. Welcome. I started listening to you last summer when I needed a bunch of podcasts to fill time on a plane ride, and boy, did you guys provide. Yes. Uh, we, we are we are a mill. We churn out. <laughs> no one can uh, say we, we don't produce a fair number of podcasts. Uh, my question is in relation to Star Trek. I'm a relatively new (laughs) fan I've been working my way uh, through one episode each morning before work I finished the original series and I'm currently on season 3 of Next Generation I'm not a completionist so I don't plan on watching everything and I don't care about watching the shows in order knowing they vary in quality Mm. I wouldn't want to waste my time with a mediocre Trek show if there was a better one available so my question is once I'm done with Next Generation Mm. what is your recommended viewing order for other Trek shows and which ones should I skip, if any? Does the bad first season curse retain in, to any other shows? Uh, many thanks, all the way from England, Danny. Danny, uh, that's a great question. Mm. Uh, firstly, if you if you're unaware, or I don't know if you're if you're a patron or not, but we we've been watching every Star Trek ever as well, and uh, we're actually pretty close to where you are. We're actually like almost done with season four. Mm. Uh, we're in season four, right? I'm not crazy. Yeah. Okay. We're, yeah, we're 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 towards the end of season two, two four. Two thirds of the way through season four right? on our Patreon podcast, all our yesterdays. So, like every episode you've seen so far, we've done a whole episode 
Most of them run from about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, so that's there if you're interested. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Um, as for other treks, um, well, first off, which other treks have the season one curse, would you say, Whitney? All of them. All of them have trouble in season oh, one. Except for Strange New Worlds. That kind of bu- yeah. that kind of bucked the trend. No no Trek show has ever started on its strongest foot. Uh, the first season of Next Generation is, is its worst. Mm-hmm. Um, first season of the original series is pretty good. I, I, see, I guess the first, like, those first couple episodes are a little off. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, it's, it's always a little bit By the time you get to the end of the first season, they kind of hit a, a bit of a stride. But the second season is much better. But I'll start with the animated um, series was fine. Yeah, the animated season. series started out pretty strong. Um, yeah. Oh, and Lower Decks. Yeah. Lower Decks was also good in its first season. The first few. Took a, took a couple I episodes. I still think it was good. Speed, I but, um, it was good. Uh, Deep Space Nine. First season is the weakest. Uh, uh, good stuff, but it gets yeah, a lot it, better. Good, good premise, good characters, but it, yeah, it gets a lot better as it goes on. Uh, same with Voyager. Kind of, kind of started off a little weak. Honestly, here's the thing with Voyager. I, th- uh, I actually thought they had more, so much promise in the first season that it kept me going. Uh-huh. And it was only in later seasons when I realized that none of that promise was going to bear fruit yeah, well, that I started to give up on Voyager. I, I'm a little odd in that I, I liked Voyager like in its second and third season before Seven of Nine showed up. Right. And I feel like after Seven of Nine showed up, it was like when she's not on screen, everybody's asking, "Where's Seven of Nine? Like it's just yeah. her show at that yeah, point. It's Pucci, yeah. And she's not. She's a fine character, yeah. and Jerry Ryan's good in the role. Uh, I feel for her and that they had to squeeze her into that goddamn corset every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hated that corset. Um, there was a rumor going around that at the last day of filming Voyager, mm. she took the corset to the beach and burned it. Turns out that's not true. They still have it. Mm. Um, I wish it were true. What are they doing uh, with it if they still have it? Is it like in a museum it's, it's, somewhere? It's like in a vault somewhere, like okay. with, with all the other Star Trek costumes. But... Um, uh, yeah, there, there was a character on those first three seasons named Kess, played by right. an actress named Jennifer Lean, and she was like the compassionate character, reminding Janeway, who's a bit of a sociopath, <laughs> that she needs to be a little bit more compassionate. And I liked the balance they had. I also liked the balance she had with the Doctor. She was an interesting character, kind of a gentle character, gentler mm-hmm. than anybody we'd ever seen on Star Trek. And they didn't know what to and do with her. And they didn't know what to do with her, yeah. and they underwrote the character, everybody hated her, and they wrote her off the show. Yeah. And Jennifer Lean like retired from acting shortly thereafter she had she had kids and decided to retire that's her business but right did uh, uh she, it, it kind of i think it kind of stung that she was written sure. off star trek did uh did enterprise gets better after the first season right because i gave up on enterprise faster than any other trek show ever <laughs> i uh, just they, couldn't do it after like yeah, four episodes they, uh, i was like no no, I'm out. I'm good. It was it's it was it's very different, Enterprise, and yeah. by design they wanted sure. it to, to look and feel a lot different. I can work with that. I just didn't think the characters are very interesting. Yeah, well, you can tell what they were trying to do with Enterprise was make it a lot more uh, like archetypal. They wanted the characters to be a lot more broad on that show. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Captain John Archer, bold frontiersman, and uh, there wasn't a lot of nuance to the characters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a character on on that show named Travis Mayweather who it could have been played by a plank of wood. Like they have, <laughs> they give nothing to the character. Uh, he. Pity the guy. He's not not a very charismatic actor either. Yeah. Um, Anthony Montgomery is his name. Uh. uh so I feel like a lot of the characters were just a little too broadly written, and it wasn't yeah. until they tried to go a little higher concept in the third and fourth seasons that I think audiences tend to like it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I uh, 
don't hate the sort of broad adventure type of stories that they were telling. It felt a lot more old fashioned, which was the goal of the show. Mm. Uh, but I understand a lot of people aren't going to jibe with that. Yeah. Uh, regarding uh, what to watch next mm. after Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, go to Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. It's, it's, it's a really terrific show. Um, yeah. You'll find that. Next Generation and Deep Space Nine are uh, good balances for one another. Mm-hmm. One is about sort of the powers of diplomacy, and the other is about sort of the 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 fraught reality of politics. Yeah, uh, how sometimes diplomacy isn't going to be the best option. Like uh, Deep Space Nine is like uh, Star Trek if it took place in. Uh, Vienna in the third man it's like after the war everyone's yeah. still pissed at each other and like everything's still on the brink and mm-hmm. like there's crime going on under everyone's there's, there's noses crime. there's like yeah this yeah. like corrupt theocracy well, building in- itself into power what was cool about it is that we still have like you know cast members of that show who are in the Federation and mm. represent the best of us uh, but there's also a lot of characters who aren't in the Federation mm. and that really livens it up a bit and we get to see yeah, that different a, people have different values a, a lot and more Conflicts of point of view and yeah. like heavy subjects like war and Holocaust and and yeah. and yeah, all of those things are a part of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, uh, I. I'm hesitant to say like one is better than the other because I think they do complement each other. I, they do. They um, do. I really do. If I have a preference, I, mm. I still kind of prefer Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. but it's really marginal and that's just taste. They're yeah, both and, really great shows. And uh, Deep Space Nine does. Uh, some people respond very positively to this, but not necessarily. It gets very soap opera uh, by the end. They mm. introduce more and more characters. It becomes a lot more about sort of interpersonal relationships. It becomes more about ongoing uh, storylines, yeah, too. And, Star yeah, Trek's usually issued. B- bigger and bigger arcs throughout Deep Space Nine, and I appreciate the ambition of that. But after a while, oh, God, do we really care if Kira and Odo get together? Um, it they, depends on how invested you, you are in those characters, the, the if you last, care about their r- romantic relationships. The last season of Deep Space Nine has some real good episodes in it, but also... Um, they made like a last minute cast change that they weren't able to mm. do anything with, and they kind of just they, they struggled. The last, the they struggled two, to yeah. wrap things up. There was, uh, I don't know why they just couldn't keep on going for like thirty seasons. It, it felt like that kind of show where they really could you know, one yeah. damn thing after another. Uh, and there was a big war, and the Klingons and the Cardassians were and then like three episodes from the end it's like and also the Breen are here and they're gonna fight it's like we're near the end here Yo, you, you can't th- introduce like a new player into this don't, war don't it's, do that I hate it when season finales or series finales do that like no. you've been watching this whole thing and then like the last two episodes we introduce a new character no 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 I do not care about anyone new mm-hmm. I want all of the screen time to be with the characters that I already know wrapping their shit up. <laughs> I don't want a new plot point. I do not want a new character. You have so little real estate that to dedicate all of it to like this shed that you decided to build a, a month before you moved is just so baffling to me. <laughs> but anyway, watch Deep Space Nine when you're done with, yeah. with Next Generation. Um, Voyager and Enterprise, your you mileage may vary. I'd say you could probably skip if, them. If you're not super uh, passionate about Star Trek at that point, you can kind of yeah. skip those. Uh, skip Discovery. Yeah. Skip Picard. Mm. Uh, the third season of Picard is pretty good, but you really can skip it. Discovery um, does have its fans, and every time Whitney says uh, Discovery sucks, we get letters. So mm. I'm going to say, like I've said before, uh, I, when, he, when he talks shit about it too many times, I will break in and say, Discovery has a lot of fans. 
Consider Discovery. Consider um, Consider Discovery. It does have a lot of fans. I haven't watched all of it yet. We'll get to it. Uh, um, the, the first two seasons of Picard mm-hmm. are abysmal. The third okay. one's good, but it's not yeah. vital. It's more... No- if you really like Next Generation, that's sort of like the nostalgia pace. Like, right. we're going to get them all back together again. Because uh, they bring all the cast back. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely go for Lower Decks. Yes, and the Lower Decks is a great sequel to Next Generation Deep Space Nine. If even if just for that, yeah, because it, it continues it, that world. It takes place like in that same timeline. They actually go back to Deep Space Nine uh, in one episode, and also see uh, Strange New Worlds because Strange New Worlds is like a really return good. to episodic storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters are really bright and funny. It is kind of a sitcom version of Star Trek. After a while, it's so jovial and lighthearted. Yeah. Uh, there are some hardcore trackies who don't like Strange New Worlds because it's so, like, silly. There's uh, also some really emotionally intense episodes, though. Like, well, the, there was really? one just this epi- uh, yeah. just this season where uh, it was about... about uh, war crimes. Yeah, Dr. Mbenga's war crimes. And that that was a really interesting episode. Yeah, but there's also, like, animated crossovers and musicals and, yeah. oh, no, the in-laws are coming. Like, there's a lot of silly light-hearted episodes and uh, yeah. the characters aren't like serious diplomats like on next generation anyway hopefully that helps yeah. uh so thank thank you for writing in and please keep on writing in people say though, it's their first time make it your fifth like go nuts yeah. what we got next with it um here is a letter from moses moses has written in uh, a couple times before. Hey, moses uh dear bibs and adon ha rock McMagneve, um, okay. which is literal Hebrew translation of Rockmeister McCool. Oh, wow. And Thank you. And, and uh, Moses fun. even wrote it in Hebrew there wow. and gave me a pronunciation guide. That's so cool. Um, you very often point out how offensive it is for an actor per- to perform a different ethnicity, i.e. blackface or yellowface, etc. Mm-hmm. A recent trailer has brought this issue to light again, only this time anti-Semitism rears its ugly head. Mm. Bradley Cooper is portraying the legendary Jewish composer Leonard Bernstein. And in order to create a greater resemblance to Bernstein, Cooper is wearing a rather large artificial nose. So there are cries of Jew face. I've seen, I've seen this. Yeah, I've, I've uh, seen Ber- the, yeah. Bernstein's family have put out a statement that Bernstein had a big nose, so no big deal. And yet. Uh, now respected news sources like The Guardian are printing editorials about why Jews shouldn't be offended. If it was offensive for Al Jolson to wear blackface, or if it was offensive for Warner Olin to play Charlie Chan, if it was offensive for Peter Lorre to play Mr. Moto, Peter Sellers to play Rooney V. Bakshi, Alec Guinness to play Emir Faisal, Marlon Brando to play Sakini, Orson Welles to play Othello, John Wayne to play Genghis Khan. Well, okay, that one is offensive for tons of other reasons, but I digress. Yeah. Why are Jews not allowed to be offended by Bradley Cooper, Bradley Whitford, or anybody else who has ever played Moses, King David, or Jesus? (laughs) It would seem that the only excuses are, one, Jews pass as white, Mm. and two, Jews are a religion and not an ethnicity. Any Jew will tell you that, quote, passing is a load of crap. The second someone finds out I'm Jewish, it's amazing how often I am then treated as though I have told some horrible lie. As for the ethnic part, show me the DNA test that will identify you as Christian, Muslim, or Scientologist. None of them do, but a DNA test will identify me as a Jew. That is not ego, that is scientific fact. So why is it okay for an African-American to be offended by blackface, but Jews need to shut up whenever someone who isn't Jewish plays a Jewish character? Thoughts? Love as always, always love the podcast. Moses. Moses, thank you so much. Uh, For clarity, because uh, Moses didn't mention the title of the movie, if you maybe have missed oh, this. Yeah. Uh, there's an upcoming biopic about Leonard Bernstein uh, called Maestro. Uh, Bradley Cooper plays Leonard Bernstein. And um, 
Yeah, he's got a big old nose. They put a prosthetic on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people have said that that is yeah, it, kind it, of it, arguably mm-hmm. uh, um, at best misguided and possibly uh, you know a little anti-Semitic. And mm-hmm. uh, I get yeah, and true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernstein's family has argued has, that, has, it's, has that si- it's signed off on it. Yeah, yeah that, that, but just because and I want to say this, just because someone's family signs off on something, that doesn't automatically make it okay. A lot no, of people have families it, yeah. that don't care about their wishes or don't mm-hmm. have the best taste. There's no guarantee of that. Well, well, you know what makes you know, a family or an estate give their approval of something is just a big check pushed across the table. Well, especially usually. if the especially um, if the movie is like favorable, hmm. you know, and you know it says yeah. the person is great. You might be really lenient in that regard. I I'm not casting aspersions yeah. on Leonard Bernstein's family. I'm just saying I don't know them, and their yeah, approval they, um, might not be just purely from a place of we've seen the movie and we like it. Yeah, yeah. Who can um, say? Uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm not a I'm not Jewish. Nor am I. I'm I'm, I'm as waspy as they come, in fact. <laughs> uh, and I've actually read some of those editorials, like in the yeah. Guardian, about how I oh, don't don't worry about it. It's magic mm. of acting, and mm. I know a big issue recently has been uh, like if a, a white actor voices a black character mm-hmm. on an animated show, for yeah. instance. Um, the concern is that a white actor has taken work away from a black actor. That's and a big part of it, yes. And a, a big part of it is now we have a, a you know, maybe diverse characters. There's good representation on the show visually, but there's not good representation in the cast. Uh, and yeah. you have, especially if you're casting all white people in the cast. Yeah. So uh, I know a lot of white voice actors have stepped away from playing black characters. Mm-hmm. And black actors have been... And other characters in, of know, color, yes. Because this is now offering... Uh, a more diverse workplace that previously wasn't diverse. And that, that's been a big issue. There are some people who have um, argued that like, you know, Oh, well, why it's surely it's all just acting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to, to that, I would argue, um, there's, there's so much sort of default setting casting of white people in general in Hollywood that if we're going to take roles that are specifically written for people of color and also give those to white people yeah that, well, that, that's, that, there's that's no, the there's, issue there's no, there's no counter argument to that that's yeah, just absurd uh, it's, it's like yeah. um, there was a, a big deal of controversy um, over I, I don't even remember what the picture was but um, Scarlett Johansson Ghost in the Shell no, it wasn't Ghost in the Shell. Oh, that's right. Um, there was it, another one she was going to uh, do. She yeah. was going to play a trans woman. Yes. In in a movie, and um, and Scarlett Johansson, I was enthused to take the part, and I understand why an actor would be uh, excited to challenge themselves you in to such play a someone fashion. Different so I'm them, I'm yeah. not putting any of this on Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I'm putting it on the casting hard. agents who yeah. uh, didn't have a slew of trans actresses that they tried to hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, studios who were probably too cowardly to even consider it if they did, well, studio, because they probably wanted a big star. Yeah, the studios yeah. probably don't care because they just want a, a name like Scarlett Johansson, a yeah. big movie star to star in their movie. I will, uh, I will, I will throw some of that at Scarlett Johansson. She did not have to take the role, um, and mm-hmm. and ultimately it didn't work out. But like, she didn't mm-hmm. have to say yes to it. She's yeah. powerful enough she could avoid so, it. If she but wanted to. she, yeah. she, she's a, a powerful actress, yeah. and she could have stepped aside and said very vocally, this role should go to an actual trans actress who is clearly not going to get work if I take it. Exactly. Uh, So there's that kind of diversity. Um, The Guardian articles are arguing something kind of the opposite. They're saying like, well, who is Bradley Cooper 
taking work away from mm. because there are a lot of Jewish actors constantly working in Hollywood. Mm. Um, so we've solved the problem, well, according to some people. Uh, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that's that's what the, the Guardian is saying. Yeah, uh, I not I'm not going to tell anyone what they should and shouldn't be offended by. Yes, uh, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I'm also not going to say that casting Bradley Cooper in a biopic about Leonard Bernstein was some sort of grievous error. Uh, well, I uh, I imagine Bradley Cooper is a sensitive enough actor that he's going to play Leonard Bernstein well. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a pretty good actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people have come to say things like, um, you look at sort of someone like Al Pacino in Scarface. He's not mm. Cuban. Yep. But I, is he offending Cuban people? Well... Uh, so that's that's a question that mm. I and and you and I to your point mm. I I would argue I argue two things about this. Mm. Uh, one, we haven't seen the movie yet, mm. so the the way that it approaches the character may or may not support the idea that uh, the prosthetic is in poor taste. Mm. It it may very well say or suggest or back up a bad faith reading of Bradley Cooper's attempt to play that character just because he's made good movies before. I, I thought his uh, directorial debut with Star Wars Born was great. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean everything he does is going to be good. He can fuck up. He like can anyone fuck can. Up, yeah. We don't know until we've seen it. But that being said, yeah, it's no one's place to tell someone else what they should be offended by, especially mm. if it is actually part of the, who they are and their yeah. identity. Uh, you don't so. get to tell someone else what they consider to be mm. racist or sexist yeah. so, uh, or homophobic. That's not how it works. So if if uh, Bradley Cooper uh, yeah. playing Leonard Bernstein is offensive, then yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, Bernstein's estate doesn't think it's offensive, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you have to follow Bernstein's estate. No, you can totally disagree. Uh, you can. Yeah. doesn't matter if they say, we think this is the best representation mm-hmm. ever. That's not law. You yeah. can totally disagree with that. And you can say... Good for you. I have a different opinion, mm. and that's perfectly valid. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anti-Semitism is really insidious. Yeah, because a lot of people like a lot to pretend, of it about. A lot of people like to pretend it's kind of over and done with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not if you're on Twitter. No, golly, no. Yeah. Uh, and presenting any kind of stereotype, even one that some people might argue is harmless. Mm-hmm. Like merely putting a big nose on Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. uh, maybe should be considered with extra care Yeah. in an age where hate is so prevalent. Yes. Uh, Which is to say pretty inv- much all ages, but regardless. Uh, well, yeah. I'm just in- inviting any kind of negative stereotype mm-hmm. is going to uh, have to be handled just very, very carefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's not my job to say. No, it's... and again, neither Whitney and I are Jewish. Hmm. Uh, we, we, our perspective on this needs to be taken with a big grain of salt. Uh, uh, the important thing is that if you're arguing that it is offensive, you have an excellent point. Uh, and, but w- uh, we won't know 100% for sure exactly how the movie tackles everything until we see the film. Hmm. Uh, but even in a vacuum, I think it is fair to say, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. So, in any case, the conversation will continue, at the very yeah. least, through well, the film's well, release. Yeah, until we can see it. And, yeah. so, and see, possibly see, after. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. 
Anyway, thank you for writing in. Uh, sensitive subject. I hope we tackled it okay. We certainly yeah. mean well. So, uh, next letter. Okay. Uh, have one he, word or two more? This is a letter from Mirror Mirror Universe Harry Mudd. <laughs> so he's a wonderful so, guy. So he's a, <laughs> wonderful and not obnoxious at all. Uh, gentle beings, I'm writing today to applaud your... Oh, this is another Star Trek letter, of course. Yes. Um, I'm writing today to applaud your scintillating, insightful rewatch of Star Trek, but with regards to the recent episode where you say we don't see holidays in Star Trek, I must take you to task. Oh, no. Though we might not see many Terran holidays, we are introduced to a host of festivals and holidays from other planets and cultures. The Klingon Day of Honor, the Bajoran Festival of Gratitude, the Ferengi Rules of Acquisition Day, just to name a few. But worst of all, you neglected to mention the most revered holiday in Federation space, Captain Picard Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay so in in the episode of next generation mm-hmm. called disaster we haven't talked about it yet actually yeah um evidently the captain of the starship mm-hmm. gets celebrated by the children who live on the starship mm-hmm. which strikes me as weirdly authoritarian it's really weird uh, but evidently they're encouraged to like make crafts and models of Captain Picard in their like kindergarten classrooms. And they all bring them up to the conference room uh-huh. where Captain Picard gets to look at all of them. And some of the kids like uh, won some sorts of contests like scientific uh, fairs or essay contests. Mm-hmm. And their prize is they get to tour the ship with the captain for an afternoon. Captain Picard hates children. So, of course, yeah. he gets trapped in an elevator, an elevator with them. Of course. Um, Captain Picard Day. I know. Um, here, here's the funny thing about Captain Picard Day. He hate, hated children. He got locked uh-huh. in an elevator with them, and he hated the whole experience. He learned to like kids a little bit more by the end. A little yeah. Character growth. Yeah. At in Star Trek Picard, many years later, you know, the Enterprise D crashed at one point. Yeah. And it was completely destroyed. Uh, somehow they salvaged some stuff from the yeah, ship. Some stuff survived, and they yeah. kept it in like this archive. At, on Earth, mm-hmm. but in like a Federation archive. archive yeah. And one of the things they kept was that goddamn Captain Picard Day banner. They kept it. A couple of things on this. Dematerialize that thing and turn it into tea. <laughs> Picard doesn't need that. A couple of things on, on the, Is that the end of the letter, by the way? Uh, no, no, there's actually quite a bit more. But okay, uh, does it move on from the holidays? Uh, the, there's a poem. So make your point first. I'll, I'll make, I'll make my point really quick. Um, uh, touche that we were talking about Terran or Earth holidays, mm-hmm. uh, which honestly would probably be like a good like marketing ploy. It's a special Halloween episode mm-hmm. of Star Trek. Uh, so we were kind of focused on that. But it is interesting that so few Earth holidays did survive. Regarding Picard Day, I will say this. One, we found out in the latest season of Strange New World that Pike's birthday is a holiday. So, yes. like, like a Federation holiday. So uh-huh. that is also an exception. Uh, but regarding Picard, they, they make it too weird. But simply, you know, the kids on the ship who are being kept alive every day by the captain celebrating the captain's birthday. Mm. If you look at it from that perspective, making him a card or a banner or something is really not that bad. It's not yeah. necessarily authoritarian. That could just be a sweet thing that the teacher did. I, I suppose so. But, yeah. Um... If it's, I'm trying, I'm trying if it's like, rigidly enforced, it's authoritarian. Yeah, I'm, I'm if it's, if it's the, the elementary uh, school teacher on the on the Enterprise saying, "Kids, hey, it's the captain's birthday, and we're all very grateful to him. He keeps stopping Q from killing us all. Let's make him some cupcakes." Hmm. That's not authoritarian. I suppose not. 
maybe and, and we have like t- teacher appreciation days and all yeah. that. But you know, like, these are civilians on a military vessel. Happy birthday to your principal at a school assembly or something. Like, it's not that weird. Mm, I, I, but I was trying to think of like what an equivalent would be. Like, what if you, you as civilians, live mm. on an army base? Sure. Like one of your family members is is in the service, mm-hmm. uh, and the elementary schools are forced to go to like the general's house and give him stuff. Uh, let's like if the general keeping us alive on a daily basis because we're constantly encountering hostile like creatures. If so, yeah, bake him a cake. Mm, all right, <laughs> let that so, go. That also seems weird to me. I, I'm not saying it's not I, weird. I, I'm just saying it doesn't have to be authoritarian. If, if anybody here lives on a military base, do you like pay homage <laughs> to the highest ranking officer on the base? As a civilian. Like, is that a thing? I don't think it is. I don't think that's a thing. But yeah. I also don't think celebrating someone's birthday is the end of the fucking world. I suppose not. Yeah. Um, Calling anyway. it Picard Day is unnecessary. Saying it's Captain Picard's birthday would but, uh, be fine. Why every child in the Federation knows the story of Twas the Night Before Captain Picard Day goes a little something <laughs> like this. Oh, no. Twas the night before Captain Picard Day, when all through the ship, not a crewman was stirring, not even a pip. The holodecks were programmed with the utmost care in hopes that Captain Picard would soon be there. And number one in his quarters, and I in mine, had just settled in for a long-range scans time. <laughs> when out on the bridge there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my, sprang to my console to see what was the matter. Away to the viewport I flew, flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the newly formed star gave the luster of midday to objects afar. When what to my wondering eyes should appear, but the Argo, (laughs) driven by Picard Day reindeer, (laughs) with a confident captain so bold and so calm, I knew in a moment it must be Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, More rapid than transporters, his his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name, now Riker, now Data, now Worf and Geordi, on Crusher, on Troy. On Wesley and O'Brien. <laughs> to the top of the holodeck, to the top of the wall. No, warp away, warp away, warp away all. I hope I've made my point. Your pal, Mirror Mirror Universe, <laughs> Harry Mudd. <laughs> well well done. Pieces. Thank you. Well done indeed. Well done. Well done indeed. Thank <laughs> you. I, I don't think we can beat that today, so hmm. we're going to call it a wrap there. But thank you, everybody, for writing in. Thank you for supporting the show. It means a lot to us. If you'd like to write into a future episode of We've Got Mail, uh, please do. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. Uh, we're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, we mentioned it before, but it's where a Star Trek podcast is, and that's relevant today. Uh, it's also where you can vote for future episodes of The Iron List and other things as well. Uh, it's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. It means the world to us. Uh, that's people are actually you know willing to you know help the show out, and without you, the show could not exist. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts over and over again. It means the world to us. Um, if you want to help the show and you can't afford to help financially, yeah, it makes sense. A couple of different things you could do. Uh, please leave us a review wherever you find us. Just a star rating, be honest. And even just one sentence just really helps us like shoot up the algorithm. So if you just have 30 seconds today and you would like to do that, that would help a lot, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, also, if you see anyone you know in person online saying, hey, what's a podcast that might be good, you could recommend us. If you were so inclined, or you could keep us all to yourselves, <laughs> you could. 
I suppose so. Yeah, it's a little... Yeah, maybe don't do that. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, yeah. everybody. Once again, you're absolutely wonderful. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.